Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. This morning's scripture is from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A shoot shall come out from the stalk of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with the righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nurse shall child, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's a little preview of our Christmas concert tonight at 6.30. Look around the uh, room. You only get to hear that one more time at Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, look and find the staff people who are in that video and watch them shake their heads every single time um, that that video comes on. it's an interesting observation. So if you're observing things, interesting observation. Um, and it didn't exactly happen in the class I was just in. But normally, uh, when I am going to a youth uh, Bible study or children's Sunday school or something like that, um, when there is a scripture read, the discussion afterward is a lot more geared towards questions that those young people have towards the Maybe the older people who are teaching them or questions they have about the scripture or questions amongst themselves. There's a lot of exploration that happens uh, in those groups. Um, but when I go into an adult Bible study or an adult class of some sort, uh, what I tend to find is um, less of the exploring questions and more of the definitive statements. More of the this is what I know versus this is what I am seeking. I had this experience a long time ago. It was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I went to this um, youth ministry conference, youth specialties, and I was in a very controversial breakout session called Listen to the Child. And this kind of short, heavyset Irish guy was going through all the different scriptural references and instructions about where children can lead us. And so one of them was Isaiah 11, about this idyllic, perfect kingdom where animals that ought to destroy each other are not destroying each other because there is this little child that is leading them. And it it ties in a little bit with Isaiah 
5 that comes before this, which is said to be this prophecy about Jesus. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, I, and I've told you all a couple different times over the years that in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, that if a child is allowed to be born, then that means God has a future for that child, and it means there's hope for those people. And so children are this example of, of, of God's promise, of God's providence uh, going forward in the world. But we look into the New Testament, and we see this very clear instruction from Mark and Matthew. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And you can even look into Revelation 12, where there is this baby born that is to combat the evils of the world and bring peace um, to God's people and to God's creation. And so this, this gentleman was laying out all of these different scriptures. And I say it was controversial because you've never seen a group of older men, not older men, but just you've never seen um, so many men so upset with what the Bible had to say. And these were all religious leaders. They were all youth workers. They all worked in a church. And yet with every new scripture that came about, about uh, young people leading or, or the value of children or how God uses children in this way, um, you can see just like feathers being ruffled. And eventually this one guy, and we get this picture when I say, you know, men in leadership, that it's like this, you know, 80-year-old guy. Now this was like a 26-year-old, you know, uh, person out of college that uh, stood up and he just started railing about none of the young people in my context have a, know a thing about what their life is. Um, there was another, you know, 30-something-year-old who stood up, and basically they just started extolling that um, young people have no value in and of themselves without any kind of, like, elder leadership to tell them everything that they could ever know, that none of the children that they've ever worked with have ever had any kind of bright idea about what the kingdom of God might look like. And they just talked about the sinfulness of young people as like, though they were excluded from this situation. Um, just over and over and over again until there was a 16-year-old kid, 16-year-old young man who had um, come as a, as a you know, student leader volunteer, and he bravely stood up in a room full of men who had already told him he didn't belong there. And a paraphrase of what he said kind of went something like this. He goes, look, I know there's this stereotype around teens that we think we know everything. I know we try and look cool. I know we try and act like we've got it all together. But that's just kind of a facade for the one thing that we all know is that we don't know everything. And all of the rest of that is just to cover as we're trying to try out things and seek and explore to know a little bit more about what the world is. And, and what I feel like you men are saying is that you know everything and there's nothing left to learn. Well, the one thing that we know is that we don't know everything. And there was this eerie silence in the room as the shepherd boy had asked the mighty king, do you know what I know? That's a line from one of what has become one of my favorite Christmas songs of do you hear what I hear? And I really didn't pay much attention to it at all until I was, you know, listen to KLTY or one of those other stations that plays Christmas songs in August all the way through. Um, maybe it was in Hobby Lobby as they put the trees out in, you know, September. Um, but the, um, uh, the first time I ever really paid attention to it, I heard Whitney Houston's version of it, because Whitney can sing the roof off the car uh, while she's singing this version. And I sound very much like Whitney Houston when I sing. So I was singing along, and, and as I was jamming along with Whitney, it just kind of, 
it struck me the beauty of the flow of information um, that happens, the flow of transformation that happens, that there is this appeal to peace, that pray for peace, and this longing for peace that comes from the mighty king to the people. And this is a great message for a leader to convey, but the king is taking his cue from this little shepherd boy. And the shepherd boy has the imagination enough to listen to a lamb who hears the night wind, the very spirit, the very ruach, the very pneuma of God, who gives this instruction that there's a world that looks a little bit different than maybe the world that we have come to know. And it's a great song. A little trivia fact about the song. Well, and not, and not only the, the cool message, but it's a, it's a great challenge for us to, um, for those of us who may think we know everything, it's a great challenge for us to ask is, are we still listening? Are we still listening to what maybe the night wind might be telling us, and maybe even through a child? A little trivia fact about the song, it was written in October of 1962. And for any of you who are over the age of 59, um, can anybody tell me what was going on in October 1962 in America? I heard some mumbling, right? Cuban Missile Crisis was going on. If you lived through that, you know it's one of those defining moments of your life. If you don't know what the Cuban Missile Crisis is, it was the United States had stationed some nuclear weapons along Turkey and along the USSR border, was you know, now Russia, dissolved Soviet Union, and um, in, in kind of effect, the Russians had stationed some nuclear weapons in Cuba. So as, as you are preparing in 1962 for Thanksgiving that is coming up, and you are seeking the perfect gifts for your family at Christmas time, from October 1962 till four days before Thanksgiving, there are nuclear warheads 90 miles off the coast of Florida potentially pointed at your house. And all of a sudden, buying the perfect gift or setting the perfect table doesn't seem to matter quite as much anymore. And it was in this atmosphere of dread and fear that a record producer appro uh, approaches um, Noel Regney and Gloria Shane and says, I want you to write an upbeat Christmas song. Right? Not only is there the personal dread of, like, my family could be destroyed, but it's the existential crisis that someone, it only takes one person with one button to destroy half of the world in a, in a big cloud of hydrogen. And they're asked to write an upbeat Christmas song during this time. Now, there's two versions of upbeat that we can talk about. There's upbeat positive, like White Christmas or chestnuts roasting on open fire that move along at the, slow, the speed of molasses while you're going through the song. But when you're singing them and you get done with them, you kind of get this warm, fuzzy feeling about you. And it's upbeat that the way, you know, the, the, the dreams of this idyllic Christmas. There's also upbeat in terms of tempo, like when you hear Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, and I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times in the last five minutes, because that's how often they play it, right? You're still going to sing, you're still going to dance, and there will be ten of you in this crowd or online who are going to have that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day because I mentioned it, because that's what it's designed to do. It is a complete designed earworm so that you will repeat it over and over, and it is upbeat escapism. It's like a Marvel movie or a romantic comedy. It's a little bit of your time where you can escape from the troubles of the day and not have to listen anything. And sometimes that's all right. But that's what the record producer wanted. The record producer went to these two musicians during a time of great dread and said, I want you to develop something that will allow people to escape into the Christmas spirit. Allow some of, you know, just this upbeat Christmas song. But as uh, Regney and Shane started uh, looking into what their Christmas song was going to be shaped like, um, they were looking at Matthew and they were looking at Luke, you know, the Christmas stories. And the character that intrigued them the most was not Mary, and it was not Joseph. It wasn't even Jesus. 
it was King Herod in Matthew. As they were dealing with world leaders who were willing to sacrifice half to three quarters of the world's population in nuclear holocaust because they wanted to keep the ideology or power that they had. All right, so in context, they're reading the story of Herod. If you don't know the story of Herod, the Magi, the wise men, the kings come from the east and they come into Israel. And when you would do that, you would stop at whoever the you know, governor's house would be if you were of that kind of king authority to get permission to be there or at least announce your presence. So they didn't think it was a coup. So the wise men come, the kings come, they go to Herod and they say, we've seen this celestial event in the sky. We believe that this is the dawning of a new king, a new ruler for this area, which is great to tell the existing ruler. Um, Now the weird thing about Matthew is when the wise men tell Herod about this, he's the one who remembers the scripture from Micah or Zechariah, the one that says that, you know, you, Bethlehem, will be the birthplace of the Messiah. He's the one who knows what the Bible says, right? He's the the man in that room that knows what the Bible says but doesn't really care about what God is saying in that moment because he hears that there's a threat to his way of life and the way he perceives God. There's a threat to everything he knows. You remember his reaction? Mutual assured destruction, essentially. Puts a fiat out for every kid two years and younger to kill them. Right? He is comfortable. Right? They, they write this song looking at Herod in 1962 of people who are comfortable destroying people in order to keep peace. And I wonder if we look back at this moment and we question a little bit of that, of thinking, is it really possible to destroy somebody and still have peace? Is it really possible to destroy somebody and look at Isaiah's vision of what the world should look like where enemies and things that ought to destroy each other, where kids are playing with snakes and they're just fine, right? Can that version of peace exist when we're destroying each other? Should we listen to Herod or should we listen to the child? When we look at Matthew and Mark, where Jesus says, you must become like a child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We talked a couple weeks ago, right? The kingdom of heaven is kind of what God's activity is and how we respond to God's activity in the world. If you must become like a child. There's a couple different, um, there's some debate about what Jesus means in that. And some people have said to mean that Jesus is telling us to trust like a child. That the assumption is that children just trust implicitly and they trust blindly and we should trust God without question and go forward with that. But um, the challenge after worship is to find a three-year-old that's around you and go up to them and just say, give me a high five. And what that three-year-old will do if they've never seen you before is they will hide behind their parent's leg and kind of do this. Trust me, I'm the stranger that tries to do this and I get, you know, weird looks from children all the time. They'll hide behind their parent's leg because you're a stranger. And some of you are like me. You're stranger than others. But you are a stranger and you have not put in the time to invest in them and love them and nurture them and bond with them to where they trust you. So children don't trust implicitly. They trust their parents implicitly who have been there from the very beginning. And so some people, so maybe it's a little bit trust, but not entirely trust. Some people will look at Jesus' words and say, um, well, it's the innocence of a child. That that children are so pure and so innocent. But again, I would point you to a three-year-old and ask, how many things have they broken today already? Like, my doctrine of original sin was formed by my niece when she was about three years old in Kansas City. 
um, we went over to my brother's house, and they had a dog toy that was shaped like a hammer. It was a little squeaky dog toy shaped like a hammer. And she went over to their dog, Zora, and she just smacked Zora on the head with this rubber hammer, which, of course, sent the dog yelping away um, because the dog loved this squeeze toy. And we looked, and we're like, Rebecca, we can't believe that you would do this. Oh, my gosh, right? And she thought that was the funniest thing in the entire world. So guess what she did? She learned that if she squeezed the dog toy, the dog would come running, and then she would smack the dog again. And eventually she got to the point where she would look at us, and she would squeeze the dog toy and keep watching as she smacked the dog over the head. Right? Children are not as innocent as we like to make them out to be. What I think Jesus is getting at here when he tells us to become like children to enter into the kingdom of heaven is one thing I have found children to be is imaginative. If you go to your Christmas party, right, you're going to find a whole bunch of adults who are going to be sit around and they're going to talk about what is and what has been. And then if you go to the kids' table, you're going to find a whole bunch of coloring and you're going to find a whole bunch of conversations and make-believe games about what could be. You're going to find children who believe that it is possible to become a fairy princess tomorrow. Right? You're going to be, uh, find children who believe it's possible that uh, why shouldn't two people just be friends, you know, despite any differences between them. You're going to find conversations and stories that are told that believe the impossible to be possible. And you know, there's this other scripture that Jesus tells us, and it goes something like this. With God, all things are possible. To become like a child is perhaps to have a larger imagination than what our experiences have led us to. To have an imagination that with God all things are possible. So with a child, it is possible that peace can exist without destroying each other. Without hating each other. With a child, it is still possible to hear new experiences from a lamb who gets their message from the very Spirit of God on the night wind. With God, it is, uh, with, with the imagination of a child, there's still the ability to learn and to listen. And I'm not just really talking about natural children here, right? Because we are called children of God in Scripture. We're called to have this imagination, and some of the most imaginative people I know are adults, even our church council chair, her name's Linda Judd, and every time we get in budget conversations uh, at the church, like, those can be very black and white numbers driven conversations, and, and we talk about responsible stewardship, but she's the one who always reminds us that the business model of a church also includes the phrase, God will provide. Right, there's an imagination that we are to claim as the church. The people who proclaim that in the midst of the darkest night of the year, that is when the light came in the world. We are the people who hold the imagination that our king who rules was also crucified. We're the ones who hold the imagination that a child that is born will one day be the prince of peace that we come to follow and come to submit to and the one who shows us the epitome of love. We have the greatest story of imagination, the greatest story of possibility that there is in the world, and I know that there is a world longing to see a vision of what can be, a world that needs a little bit more imagination than simply let's destroy each other. There is a peace to be found, and we hold the story of peace. So the question is, is will they hear what we've heard? Will they know what we're supposed to know? And will we tell 
what we've been told. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds that are open and hearts that are wide to never stop learning and never stop listening, to delight in the ways of the child born in Bethlehem, the one that is to be the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor and mighty God. May we come wide-eyed at the sight of the star. May we hear the song on the night wind from the angels blowing. Lord, may we be open to what you have to say to us so that we are not clouded in some of the harsh realities around us. Lord God, help us to know that with you, the worst word is never the last word because your imagination sees that with all things are possible, all people are able to be redeemed, and all people are part of your kingdom in your eyes. And Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at CreekwoodUMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.